We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blink, and they're gone. To find out who they are without us. All the more reason we come to West Virginia to introduce them to simple things like rolling hills, walks in the forest, warm campfires. And we hold on to that feeling for as long as we can. Find your version of heaven this fall at wvtourism.com. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast. Powered by Campus Insiders, with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome back, Gator Nation. It is football time again. Welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to be back here in Studio B. My name is Alan Williams. As always, sitting right next to James DiVirgilio. Welcome back, everybody. James, you excited? Super excited. It's it's the best time of year next to Christmas, <laughs> which is only better because you've had a lot of football and Christmas. But second to that, football season's back. I'm a big baseball fan, but let's face it, baseball's not an exciting sport. So here we are on the cusp of weekends meaning something great, tailgates, food, football, it just is a great time. I can't, I can't I'm getting goosebumps it. right now. I love this time of year. Can't wait to be in the swamp again. Can't wait to have Saturdays full of college football. And, of course, that means the return of the podcast on a week-to-week basis. So glad to be back doing that. Just a little bit of what's coming up. We're going to do a big season preview this episode. We're going to get you ready for the season. We're going to talk about all different kinds of position groups. We're going to talk about overall thoughts. And then we have a great interview with Gator legend James Bates coming up. But first, our James... DiVirgilio, give me some of your overall thoughts and feelings as we're on the cusp of the season right now. What are you thinking? How are you feeling? I feel cautiously optimistic, but I, I'm always the king, I think, of hedging my bets because until I see what the team does 
I don't really want to say anything too confidently. And that makes sense to me because we have no data. Every year in college football, the team is almost entirely different, even if you return a lot of people because the culture changes. Uh, just a lot of things change. So it's too hard to know, but I do think right now, if a few things go our way, we could have a very nice season. Um, even if it's a quiet season where we don't necessarily win anything, it, it could certainly be a 9 or 10 game winning season if a few things go right. That's not at all a difficult thing, I think, for us to achieve. And the flip side could could also be true. Um, but we're going to talk at the end of the show about our schedule, game by game, go through it, look at it, see what's realistic. So I won't get too much into that now. But generally, I'm excited. I'm really excited to see some of the new offensive players that we have. That's probably what I'm most excited about heading into this season. How about you? I feel optimistic. You know, I, I think like you, I'm a little bit cautious. I'm not someone who always drinks the Kool-Aid. I mean, I think I'm probably generally more optimistic than you are. I, I think I was pretty hesitant going into that last must champ season, of course. I think everybody was like, maybe we could pull something good out here, but not expecting a good outcome. And then with the first McElwain season, it's like, who knows? Uh, you know, it's so many question marks. And this season, you know, I... I feel pretty confident that this team is going to be a good, solid team. Maybe, you know, might not replicate all of the wins or different record possibly. Like you said, we'll get into that. But I, I'm i looking forward to this season probably the most, I don't know, maybe since 2009. It's been a while since I've like had this much kind of open optimism. And not that I'm expecting championships, uh, but I, I'm looking forward to watching this team compete. Yeah, and I think for a lot of Gator fans, they feel probably that way. And then for maybe some other some other of us, you feel maybe like I do, which is that we, we had this like soap opera season last year where the highs were so high yes. and the lows were so, so low. low. And you come into this season and you think, this should have been a really exciting season. We should have been returning some, some players, enhancing the offense, returning a quarterback, but we're not, which brings newness in and of itself. And I definitely find myself probably with tempered enthusiasm in the immediate short term because of that roller coaster we went on last year. Definitely. But I definitely don't see the the variance that we saw last year being present this year. I would expect a more consistent football team on a week to week basis, even if we took some injuries. I do not expect the incredible sort of night and day football team we had last year, which I think will be will be pleasurable for all of us that like to follow the team. Yeah, and I think most of confidence, most of the confidence that people have in the program right now really has to come down to what you think about Jim McElwain. So if you're confident in the season, that means you're probably confident in McElwain. So I guess I'll ask you, how confident do you feel in our current head coach, Jim McElwain? At this point in time, I feel extremely confident on every single metric except for recruiting. I do have some recruiting concerns. It's not to be covered on this episode, but in a, in a Cliff Notes version, this will be an important year for me to evaluate his recruiting ability. I think if we have the kind of season we should have, uh, the recruits should no longer be concerned with sort of what a lot of other schools have been able to successfully do with negative recruiting about, hey, the offense isn't going to be good, or it's not really realistic, or they were lucky, which is a lot of the narrative that's been thrown out there. I think once we get past that, hopefully some of these big name players will, will commit and we'll get the momentum we need. Uh, but outside of that, I, I think that he's a, a fantastic candidate if you look at a three- to five-year kind of basis of what's he going to do, coach. And, and I have complete faith in him. And I would still have complete faith in him even if we didn't necessarily win nine or ten games this year, depending on what happened. Uh, but he seems to have 
control over the program. The players seem to be indicating a significant culture shift. Some people I know that work with a team in a variety of different departments are indicating how different the team behaves. So you're seeing real change, and I believe in the X's and O's, and I love the offense. I mean, I love the offense. So I think, for me, uh, there's no reason not to be sold on him. It it just remains to be seen whether or not he's going to be able to pull the, the players we're going to need to beat the teams that can do the same thing he's doing and then also have the slightly better players. And I would echo a lot of those. I, I think I'm fairly confident in him. He's he's an interesting fit at Florida. He's a guy you know we talked about from Montana and kind of had a kind of interesting route to the head job here at Florida. But yeah, I I feel confident in him, so that makes me feel confident in this season because there are a lot of question marks uh, on this roster and really a lot heading into the season. One of those for most of the offseason was maybe the best player on our entire team, Antonio Callaway. Now. There's, we're not going to get into this fully, but uh, if you weren't aware, he was suspended by the university um, for some allegations of, I assume, sexual misconduct. Went through a whole Title IX investigation, seemed to be concluding, and then things went a little haywire. James, can you just kind of fill us in on how things concluded and maybe some of the issues with that? Well, without the athletic department's approval or anything to do with this, really, the University of Florida chose to select an overseer or a judge, if you will, in this standpoint, to to decide the case. And that person was a, was a booster, and I put that in quotes right now, physically in quotes, a booster, meaning that he goes to basketball and football games and holds what's called a scholarship level, level of seats. He gives five or six grand a year to own those seats. So a fairly typical upper-end Gator fan, this was incredibly stupid by the University of Florida. They have a roster of people that can be an, an arbitration panel or an arbitration judge in these cases and decide them. And and for some inexplicable reason, they took something that was going to be an issue that was held within the University of Florida. Whether Callaway was innocent or guilty or not is not relevant at this point. They should have chosen someone who clearly did not have any sort of conflict of interest at all. I understand that legally an argument can be made that he did not have a conflict of interest, which is essentially what he said. But it's not always legally that you have to focus on, right? You look at the perception. It's shown poorly on the university. Uh, Certainly Callaway now still has to deal with this, as does the woman who was affected. Mm -hmm. So something that should have been finished one way or the other, guilty or innocent, and should have been done where all parties felt like they got a fair process, wasn't that way. So it's sort of just a funky scenario again where you're just like really foolish decision in a time like this i'm not sure how universities mess this stuff up like how does one person not raise their hand and say oh wait a minute that seems like a bad idea yeah it just gives the impression that there's collusion involved to make a decision in favor of the football team and you know what i guess there is that possibility that's what you know one side is insinuating rather strongly not insinuating saying uh and and so, yeah, again, this is not a declaration about evidence or guilt or innocence. Just unfortunate that what should have been a non-story at this time of year, the story was basically going away and could be a potential distraction for this team. And, you know, actually a, a little bit of a black mark on the university and how they handled this situation. Because they, you know, people had said that up to that point they'd handled it really well and then kind of fumbled it at the last, at the one yard line. And that's unfortunate. Uh, so any other thoughts? On that situation, just felt like we need to talk about it since it was all over the news in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I continue to like how McElwain handles things. I, I think he's very slow, and he talks a lot about the individual responsibility. Doesn't get ahead of himself. He's not in a hurry to to defend a guy or to vilify a guy, and it's always casted in. Hey, if a guy makes a choice, he's going to deal with it. 
And I think that's right. I think that's the right way to handle things. A lot of football coaches are far more autocratic than that, and that is not how they deal with it. And I like that. I think the end goal, no matter how much you love the Gators, no matter how brightly colored your orange and blue glasses are, what matters the most is that every kid that comes out of the school and plays for the program becomes more of a man and not less of a man. And I don't mean that in the sense of let's just talk in this cliches, but like literally understands that his life is dictated by the decisions that he makes. And I think McIlwain is doing that. And I would beg to say that a lot of other college football coaches create players that come to school for four years and they leave and they're sort of still dependent upon a coach to tell them how to live life. And they don't understand that their decisions impact their own life. And, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy that a lot about Coach McElwain. I like that at our program. I'm excited that that's how he handles discipline. I hope to see it be maintained. And obviously, like you said, you always hope there is no sinister motivation to keep guys on the field. It does not seem like that is in his character at all. So that would be surprising if something like that was going on to me. And you saw a couple other players, as McElwain said, he likes to say, making choices, made a Bad choice, apparently. I mean, I don't know if this got confirmed, but seems to be what everyone assumes happened with maybe our other star player on defense, Jalen Tease Tabor and Seontay Lewis, our tight end, suspended for game one for, I guess, a fight in practice, which seems like those happen all the time. This one may get got a little out of hand. But what do you think this suspension says? Does that mean like he's just letting them off? Oh, suspended for the first game against UMass. What does that count? Or maybe like a step in the other directions that he's actually holding these guys accountable. I think that's holding them accountable. I think a lot is made up of the first game that people miss not being a big deal. But if you're a college athlete, you're waiting all year for this game. It is a big deal. Yes, you know you're going to win. It doesn't matter. This is sort of what you cash your chips in for. It is definitely a punishment. Uh, Not to mention, team fighting a lot of times is not punished at all. We don't know the specifics, but clearly there was something done to where they felt like both of those guys crossed the line And by crossing the line, they were doing something detrimental to their own team. It was a level of aggressiveness that was not going to benefit anyone. Uh, I like the way Tabor came out and handled it. There was no complaints. And again, that that seems to be good. McIlwain is letting his guys comment on these things. There is no don't comment on social media. Don't talk to people about what happened. And that, to me, indicates that his players understand that it's up to them. And I like that. I think he's handling those situations well. I have no problem with it. And you just hope that a guy like Tabor, who I think is starting to maybe really love his own press clippings comes down a little off of that because he could become a distraction of the team if he starts becoming all about Tabor and and what's about me as opposed to using his platform to sort of influence the other guys in the team yeah and he's been a he's obviously a very vocal guy and the team has let him do that they've even taken him to ESPN they've kind of positioned him as a leader as a potential star first round pick and I you know what they didn't have to suspend him they're willing to bring this out into the light and say we're going to suspend this guy even though that looks bad on them for letting this guy have more of a voice So it does seem like they're moving in a good direction with that and holding people accountable. And I think that will only help team culture and the environment and and avoiding maybe some of the star treatment that some players maybe got under Urban Meyer that people said eroded the culture there. So we have to hope that he's making the right decision. seems like he is, although we don't know what's going on behind behind the scenes all the time. But I think uh, I'm hopeful that his handling these situations is going to reflect well on him and the university and and for the future of the team. 
And with that, we're going to come to our first ever break on the Gator Nation Fall podcast. So that might sound like, wait a minute, what's a break? Well, it's going to actually just be a, a quick advertisement. But because the show has grown in stature, we've grown in listener base, um, we've had all sorts of really cool things happen to us, which has only happened because you, the listeners, have enjoyed the show, uh, which we greatly appreciate. We've now reached a point where advertisers want to be on the show. And, uh, of course, we're going to allow them to do that. And we are also not going to allow them to overtake your programming. So this will not be like when you're watching NBC in the opening ceremony of the Olympics and there's a commercial every five minutes. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not going to be the way that it is. We'll make sure it's as uh, minimum as possible while also making sure that we get a chance to continue to give you the best content and be able to get better and better with the show. Um, and so for this show's format, we're going to do one now and then we'll do one before the James Bay's interview. Uh, but in reality, it'll be something that's going to be going on all season. Certainly send us our feedback. We hope that you're not thinking, oh my gosh, what are all these ads on a podcast? This is driving me crazy. But that you're instead thinking, hey, good for those guys. They're producing content I love. And at the same point in time, they're getting some support from some advertisers. And with that, we'll go to our first ever break. Well, let's get into maybe the big biggest news of the last few weeks is Coach McElwain naming a starting quarterback. And big surprise, it's Luke Del Rio. James, are you happy about that? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I'm happy about that. I think that, the like we thought all along, the best quarterback would win, and that's Luke Del Rio. He had a year advantage on Appleby. Like we predicted accurately on the podcast, Appleby transferring in has been a great thing for the program. He, by all by all accounts, pushed Del Rio, even though Del Rio is kind of the obsessive NFL coach's son mentality. He pushed him. He challenged him. He was actual competition. It does seem like uh, the other two quarterbacks that are younger, you know, both Trask and Felipe Franks, aren't quite there yet, which, which is to be expected. Yeah. And so all those things we mentioned with Applebee's transfer being one of those, like, oh, it looks like nothing, but really is something, wound up being that. And so I think Del Rio was the guy from the beginning. All the reports you've heard about him have probably been true. And I say all that to say none of that really matters to me until I watch him play some games. And so I'm going to say this every year on this show. I want to watch two games after two games, I'll be able to feel pretty good about what I think someone's skill set's going to be as a quarterback. So for now, hey, McElwain thinks Del Rio's the guy. We'll take a look at him and see what he kind of gives us in the first couple of games. And if he's not the guy, I feel comfortable that Appleby can also be the guy. And by the guy, I mean a guy that can perform at least at an average quarterbacking level, that can move the offense, that can run the offense. We're in a much, much better situation than we were last year with regards to quarterback depth. So all in all, I feel very good coming in this year with regards to consistency from that position. I do not know what we have yet. I don't know if we have a player that can make a difference, but certainly we have guys that McElwain feels like can run the offense, and the players are echoing that in their their, their comments about how efficient things are moving in practice. Yeah, I think the quarterback group as a whole is light years ahead of where it was last year coming into the season. Seems like Appleby is could start for the team, you know, the way people talk about him, or it can be at least a competent backup if you know, Luke Dorello has to go out for a series or, you know, misses a little bit of time, you know, who knows what they would do if he actually got hurt. But yeah, I think this is one of the most obvious things that was going to come down the line. We're just waiting for McElwain to confirm what everyone already knew, seemingly. And, you know, I liked what I saw him in the spring game, you know, but that, you know, take that with a grain of salt, obviously. But him being in the system for a whole year, you know, hopefully knowing what he's supposed to be doing out there in the field, I think is the biggest key to this offense. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him out on the field in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I can't wait to see him play. I love watching the quarterbacks play. I don't think it's any secret. That's my favorite position group to watch. And my, my always grain of salt is 
last year at this time, we had a quarterback competition between Will Greer and Treon Harris. At that point in time, I was very vocal even before the season that I just did not think that should have been a quarterback competition. This season, I have no such data or evidence to back it up on, so that's why I said I'm in wait-and-see mode. But uh, I, I can't say I blindly trust McElwain's preseason quarterback decisions either because we have one data point, and that data point leaves me confused. But regardless, I do think that we will be better off uh, in general than we were. And there are obviously other positions rather than just quarterback that matter on this team. And if you're like me and you enter into the season, it, you're a little bit foggy on sort of who, who's what. Like, oh, wait, who's, uh, who's you know, number 92 this year? I don't know. Isn't that so-and-so? And so it takes a little bit to get into it. So thankfully, on the show, we have Alan, who is the positional group guru. And uh, we're going to walk through the positions right now on the depth chart, kind of get some commentary on what it's looking like without having seen anyone play this year. There's plenty of new faces. Our offense is extremely young, and we're going to get a chance to see what's it going to look like on game one, and maybe who are we kind of excited about at a general level. So with that, let's just jump right into probably the most important position group, the offensive line. Yeah, this was the biggest question mark last year. We talked a lot about this could make or break the season. This team, this unit could be a total train wreck. We had no idea. You know, I don't think anyone expects them to be a train wreck this year, but I think, you know, much higher floor. It was still a really high ceiling. A lot of talented guys, a lot of returning starters, but still very young. Mostly sophomores with a few juniors sprinkled in here who are going to get significant playing time. So some recognizable names. David Sharp over left tackle, our big recruit, Martez Ivy at left guard. And then some guys, you know, are going to be filling in at various spots. Um, you know, those are probably the big two names. But I think everyone feels a lot more comfortable with all these guys. And there's more depth now. Before last year, if someone got hurt, it was like, I don't know, are they just going to put in a walk-on here at this spot? A lot more bodies, a lot more guys who have, you know, kind of shown up and the coaching staff has talked about doing well. So I think everyone's feeling a lot better about this position group than we were heading into the season last year. So maybe not a strength of the team yet, but definitely not the black hole that it was potentially last year. And something to follow will be the O-line's performance because they've been knocked for the level of recruits that they have gotten. There's there's some thought that Summers, Coach Summers, is not a very good recruiter, although he's known as a very good offensive line coach. And this will be a big year for him in particular. This line will have to produce if they stay healthy He's got a lot of the sort of, I don't know, he didn't take maybe the mainline guys mantra going on right now. So an important year when you're watching the team to watch that O-line. There's a lot of pressure in that unit particularly, especially because they have not gone out and done what Ose the cornerbacks have done by getting top guys. So position to watch for sure. Let's jump down to wide receivers. A really intriguing group. Obviously one returning star in Antonio Callaway, who, like I said, maybe the best player on our entire team. Incredible freshman year, breakout player. He's going to be, I think, the focal point of the offense when it comes to the passing game. And then a lot of interesting guys. So a lot of freshmen, big-time recruit Tyree Cleveland. Hopefully we'll see him playing a lot. Uh, A few more freshmen in the mix. C.J. Wharton is a guy you saw basically play one game last year and had an amazing, you know, basically moss ball-type touchdown uh, against Alabama. And so it's like, well, if he can do that, maybe he can do that in the regular season. So hope for him. And then a guy, maybe one of the X-Factors, a senior, Ahmad Fullwood, who is seemingly has all the potential in the world, but has never really produced. So a lot of different guys in the mix. Still, as this has been for the last four or five years, a question mark for the Gators. Maybe the group that I feel most iffy about. A lot of potential, a lot of talent there, 
but a lot of question marks. Yeah, it could be a really good year for them, though. You're getting a lot of sneaky reports out of camp about good production. Uh, you've got a lot of interesting matchups, I think, in the slot with mm-hmm. regards to speed. And I think one thing we saw last year with Brandon Powell when he was healthy was how well he could just abuse the matchups he had. That completely died when we couldn't throw the ball to our wide receivers. But yeah. assuming with a, with a matchup with Cleveland or Callaway and you know, the X and Y spot and then throwing in a Powell or uh, several other guys. Dre Massey. Especially, correct. Yep, and there's a lot of praise about Dre Massey. Again, we steer away from that on the show because there's a lot of praise about a lot of guys in the preseason. But I think... Everybody looks great in camp. In McIlwain's offense, the guy like Dre Massey, who, quote, can't be guarded by a lot of the cornerbacks, right? The guy can't be guarded. Um, he does so well with creating those matchups that I'm excited about this year's group because last year we just did not have the guys... That could we could do with this year, which is like several guys that can beat you one on one, create the matchups, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that I'm excited about them, but if he is the right word, because they could also just tank incredibly. Anytime so, you're relying on freshman wide receivers to play a significant amount of time, that's scary for a football team. But enough guys here that hopefully someone's gonna step up. Yeah, and when in comparison to last year, you think, hey, last year we were we were really digging deep into the barrel. So at least we have talent. But like you said, it's always important to know that you should not count on freshmen at most positions in college, especially not receiver. Uh, notoriously hard position to play. And then all of that to say, what about Callaway? Well, yeah. Callaway's a freak. He was a three-star recruit. Look, sometimes magic happens. Just enjoy that because that's not typical. Uh, let's jump on to tight end. Your favorite group in this offense, maybe. Uh, some returning guys. So you saw a lot of Goolsby last year. And then Siante Lewis, when he was healthy, looked really good. And there's some younger, up-and-coming guys who will probably see some playing time. But those are the main two guys. Obviously, losing Jake McGee, um, you know, big-time part of this offense last year. When it was functioning, it often functioned through him. So that's a big loss. But young guys, talented guys, if these guys can stay healthy and on the field, I think you'll see a lot of production from them. Excited about the tight end position. I love that we use the tight end. And I look forward to seeing a guy like Goolsby and obviously Lewis, uh, but especially Goolsby. I think this could be a great year for Goolsby as a guy getting the third or fourth matchup down the list on opposing defenses. I think he could really have a tremendous year. Uh, Now let's go to probably the most exciting position on the field. I think what people are most jazzed about, even nationally, is our running back group. Really interesting group of guys. You have two guys who were freshmen last year, the, the Jordans, Scarlett and Cronkite. I mean, people really like these guys coming out of high school. I think, you know, coming in their sophomore year, a lot of potential there. And then a, a guy who everyone talks about just being a monster uh, on the field, this guy, Mark Thompson. And so a guy who's measurable is really big. He's tall. He's like, you know, carries a lot of weight and is apparently still really fast. Really interesting guy. You never know how that transition is going to go from junior college to a place like the SEC. Uh, and then, you know, a couple other guys in the mix there, a freshman, uh, you know, Mark Herndon, his former walk-on. So decent amount of bodies there, where last year it was like Kelvin Taylor and who, where this year you see all of those guys play, and hopefully someone's going to emerge as a star. If someone is able to, you know, basically break out of that group, I think that means he's going to be really successful. And so, but at the same time, a lot of depth, a lot of interesting guys can do, I think, a variety of things. They're all pretty... Uh, I think, diverse in their skill set. So, I mean, like you said, a lot of hype. One guy that I know who's close to the team, works with this position group, could not be more excited about these guys and their production and their potential. Yeah, fun group this year. First time since I can recall in my entire Gator fandom, we've had such a stable of running backs, size-wise, as well as a power and, and speed-wise. We've had fast little guys. We've had a main feature guy. 
but really like this many guys that can impact the game. Very exciting. And I say all that to say running backs aren't worth a whole lot if the offensive line can't block. So it will be interesting to see what they can produce because running back can never really do it all on his own unless he's Barry Sanders. And there's only been one of that guy. So we'll see what happens. Let's flip sides of the ball. Talk about the defense. A lot of new faces here from a great defense last year. This is more of the feeling of a reload uh, than an unknown scenario. On the D-line, what, what do we have? A really deep and, I think, talented group, if not like maybe lacking in star power at this point. Some names that you've heard before, Brian Cox Jr., Caleb Brantley, who people are expecting big things out of, Joey Ivey, and a few guys along the way. And then, of course, maybe the guy with the most potential, big-time recruit last year, C.C. Jefferson. People are expecting big things out of him. I think they're going to use him a little bit like they used John Bullard last year, moving inside and outside, see some at end and at tackle. So, and I, there's another five or six guys I could mention who are going to play a lot. So, you know, a ton of guys should be, you know, great depth, but maybe missing that guy who's going to get after the quarterback. You know, Alex McAllister was never really this guy, but he had the potential to be. Someone could emerge. Um, but I, I don't know. I like this group a lot. I think this is maybe the strength of the team in terms of depth and in quality. Hmm. What about the linebackers? So we've got a defensive line that we think has a lot of depth. What's the linebacker situation looking like? Opposite. Extremely thin. Maybe the uh, besides wide receiver, the position I'm most worried about. A, you know, a star in Jared Davis, who's coming back. Leader of the team. Another guy, huge potential in Alex Anzalone, who we saw briefly last year and then was hurt. He's been hurt most of his career. Other than those two guys, and then Anzalone's a big if. You know, McMillan, a couple other freshmen, some sophomores who didn't play last year. So it it's an interesting group. Star-studded at the top, but not a lot of depth there at all. And we, you know, we play a lot of nickel, meaning we take one linebacker off the field when there's traditionally three and put in five defensive backs. So depth is not as much a concern there as in other positions. We're really only playing two most of the time. But if we have any injuries or we come up against a team like Alabama or LSU or we need to go heavy, I don't know that we can do that. Yeah, and linebacker is a spot that ugh, in the college football ranks for the longest time, it wasn't necessarily that difficult of a spot from a thinking perspective. But that has all changed now. With college teams embracing the NFL concepts of trying to create matchups via substitutions, trying to match up tight ends against linebackers, it's really difficult for a freshman linebacker to play at a high level in the SEC. It's very hard for them to cover in pass coverage. It's just such a hard thing. And so that's the major, major step down you would see if you don't have a veteran guy there. And us being that thin with a guy in Anzalone who's really, really good but never plays. You see him play for a game, you're thinking, that guy's a nice player, but he never plays. You just expect that to continue. So then what happens if it's Davis and someone? You know, That's going to be interesting. Then we're in trouble. And I think that could be a spot. And I guess most teams it won't show up because the talent along the defensive line and the secondary will cover that up. But I remember being really frustrated that we weren't playing three linebackers against, you know, guys like Leonard Fournette and, you know, where teams were just loading up. We're gonna see teams like Arkansas who are gonna line up and try to run down your throat. And if and if that nickel defense isn't gonna hold up, I don't I don't know that we can do anything else. So it might just be like, here's what we got. And good luck. We'll and, see. And speaking of the nickel defense, let's talk about our corners. Again, a, a, 
a very talented group. Our starters, Jalen Tabor, you'll see him on almost every preseason watch list and All-American. A guy who had a fantastic year last year as just a true sophomore. And then Quincy Wilson, very underrated guy, I think, is going to play really well for us. Behind those two, some talented guys, you know, uh, it'll be interesting if one of those guys gets hurt, what happens. But uh, definitely at the top, the the two starters are about as good as it gets in college football. And then our safeties, mixed bag there, replacing Keanu Neal. Marcus May returns, you know, great at certain things, iffy on other things. And a lot of other guys in the mix. Duke Dawson, who kind of is a nickel hybrid corner safety guy. And then a lot of other guys, some young guys. Um, and so, but some question marks there in terms of depth there. But as in terms of the starters goes, it, it's maybe as solid a group as you'll find. And let's flip over to the last piece of the team, a team that was literally a polar opposite last year, really high in some regards, like punt return. And then unfortunately, on the things we're about to talk about, really low on one of these things, which is place kicking. Let's start there with the, the kicker on special teams. Uh, the darling of the offseason, off Eddie Pinero, um, our highly touted kicker, who's never actually kicked in a football game, either in high school or in college. Ton of talent. We'll see. Uh, it has to be an upgrade from last year. Last year was the you know, worst possible scenario for place kicking. You know, returning veteran and Johnny Townsend at punter, you know, inexplicably bad on kick return with Brandon Powell back there. Hopefully someone else will be in that slot. And then we'll see at punt return. Cowley did a great job last year with that. We'll see if they use him again. I would think they would at least some because he's you know pretty to be so good at it. So but special teams could be a, a strength of this team if Pinero comes through. And that is a big if. I want everyone to think and remember that there have been a lot of five-star kickers that have come through, and kickers are not easy to predict. How a kicker gets a five-star rating is exclusively through competing in camps. It really has nothing to do with their high school film footage, which is exactly how Panera is a five-star rated kicker, even though he's never actually put a helmet on and kicked until the spring game. So it's how you do with camps. It's how you do with shorts and a t-shirt. It's entirely different. Most kickers will tell you it's a mental sport. Uh, so there's a lot to be seen with him. Of course, he has the leg, but Austin Harden was a five-star number one rated kicker when he came in here as well. So I'll say that to say that you can't just assume that our kicking situation is, is fixed. Now, we all hope it is. He's done great things on YouTube videos, but until we actually watch him do it, uh, we won't know. As far as Johnny Townsend goes, aside from his sophomore year, which no one can really explain, he was a fantastic punter, so we should be locked up there. So it looks like it's you better than last year. Still a question mark with kicker, although we all have high expectations. So that will be fun to watch in this first game coming up as well. And I, another thing to remember about this roster is it's extremely young, almost across the board at most of the position groups. So expect to see a lot of guys you haven't recognized getting some playing time in these first couple of games. And hopefully this the team is going to get better as the season goes along because it is so young. I think if it does, that will be a great indicator of the development potential of the coaching staff. And with that, we're going to now take a, a second to bring on our, our Gator guest. And uh, we're really excited about this Gator guest. A lot of you will know him as Batesy. It's James Bates. And we're going to talk to him after this break. All right, let's bring a big welcome to the show to James Bates, a Gator legend, current Fox Sports 
uh, analyst, going to be covering the ACC this year. He's also an Emmy winner. He's produced several documentaries. And of course, uh, most of us know him as the captain of the 1996 national title winning team, all SEC linebacker, and also all around great guy and entertaining guy for guys who went to school when I did in the early 2000s, producing a lot of uh, fun content about the SEC. James, great to have you on. Thanks for having me on. First show out the gate. I'm excited. What an honor, guys. Yeah, thanks for being on. You know, I, as James said, we're, you know, we're both in our mid-30s here. And I think for those of us who grew up on the Gators, you, know, you hold a, a special place in you know, kind of people's hearts and memories. What kind of response do you get when people run into you on the street or see you, you know, kind of around town? Do they talk to you about the football team? Do they talk to you about like your broadcasting? What do they say to you when they come up to you? Huh. Well, it's 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 a wide range. I mean, it it could be about my my daughter swimming or my son catching fish or or my art even. But you know what is uh, I I just enjoy being around happy people. I enjoy uh, I enjoy my job because it allows me to to reach people and try to make people smile. I mean, I just I just I just like positive people and, and, and happy people, and, and I like to do my part in trying to, to make people happy and make people smile. And so I think my art and a lot of my work does that. So a lot of times it ends up, uh, whatever the topic is, it's a, it's a happy happy meeting and, and, and a lot of smiles, and, and that's a good thing. And I just, we're so, uh, so fortunate, so blessed to, to live here in Gainesville, and uh, I've got a, a beautiful, healthy family, and uh, everybody's off to a good start this school year and uh, i'm ready for that that fall to hit and, and watch some college football especially those florida gators and see what's going on speaking of the florida gators we know that that steve spurrier is back in the fold he's back in gainesville i know that all of us are really excited about that we also know i think along with everyone that you do the probably the best steve spurrier impression there is we were hoping you could give us a few of those impressions today uh, maybe even one that you don't do all the time, uh, a unique Steve Spurrier impression, if you will. But we'd love to hear a couple, if you can pull a couple out for us. Yeah, I, I think I can. And, and maybe what I'll do is, uh, is you know, it's, it's almost like a Spurrier uh, Tourette. Sometimes <laughs> they'll just they'll pop out. So, uh, and they're, they're better, I think, when, uh, when it just kind of happens. Um, but, you know, I was there's one that, that – We've actually just started. Me and my buddy Tom, who we've uh, – you mentioned the documentaries off the top. Uh, Gator fans may have uh, – may remember a lot of – we did a series of five uh, for Sun Sports, uh, Fox Sports Florida, um, on Billy Donovan and his former players. And, um, and Tom and I, we were a two-man band on those, and, and we've kind of just started dabbling and, and doing a few more projects together. And one of those projects is – we're just bouncing around and, and collecting head ball coach stories. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly where they will live. Uh, we've got a little YouTube channel and, uh, you know, social media and on YouTube. But so this past weekend he was here and we were shooting a lot of that stuff. And, I mean, we – oh, my gosh, my face still hurts from just, just telling head ball coach stories. And, and one popped up that I totally forgot about, um, and, and that was uh, – we were at Vandy, and I guess it would have been my well, my sophomore or junior year. And my, my roommate early on in college, Eric Kresser, who was uh, Danny Warfel's backup, he got in the game because we were beating up on Vandy. Um, uh, you know what? It was, my, it was my 
sophomore year because my senior year we went up there and it was a little bit too close for comfort uh, in our in our big run. But so we were beating up on them and you know the game was over and some of the backups were in, including Eric Cresser and, and Cresser. Cresser gets in there and checks off. I mean, Cresser had such a strong arm, and he just poor guy. Just he ended up transferring to Marshall and winning the national title up there, <laughs> uh, Division Two. You know, but he just he just wanted to play, and he was a competitor, and he was a great quarterback, and he just wanted to air it out too. And so he got in, checked off to a long pass, threw a bomb for a touchdown, and and of course the fans are just giving the whole sidelines, especially Coach Spurrier, heck. <laughs> but at Vandy, especially then. You're really close to the fans. It's uh, it was the closest, uh, the proximity uh, of any stadium that I've that I've ever been to. They were right there on top of me. So they're yelling at him, yelling at coach, and coach turns around and he goes, "It wasn't me. It was him. It was him." And he's pointing at Crestor out on the field for checking off. And oh man, but yeah. So um, so we've had a a fun run of collecting some of those stories. And and the beauty of it all is is everybody has a story. Anybody that's, that's ever been in the same, you know, uh, convenience store with them has a Coach Spurrier story. And so I figured it was time to start collecting them, and, and not just from the Bobby Bowdens and the Danny Warfels of the world, but, you know, from guys that bump into them over at the beach or, or, or guys that have just seen them around town because everybody's got one. And it's it's been a fun start already. And so get set here in the next week or so. I'll let you guys know uh, – and you can give everybody a heads up on, on where to catch some of these as we start to piece them together. Oh, we'll definitely do it. What was it like when Spurrier got mad at you? What did, what did that sound like? Well, he, you know, fortunately, as a defensive player, he didn't <laughs> he didn't deal with us too much. It was just, uh, you know, he's, he's worried about his offense. And as long as you went out there and got three and outs and, and put the ball back in the hands of the offense, he was happy. And, you know, as long as, for the most part, everybody was, was doing their thing and, and he had a chance to score a lot of points, he was happy. And so, but every now and then we'd have a, a bad game and he'd come sit in on our meetings and, and he'd get on Coach Pruitt and, and we'd watch the, the tape as a team. And, and uh, you know, Coach Pruitt for one year in my junior year and, you know, it didn't have, I don't know that we ever dealt with him really much at all when Coach Stoops was there my senior year. But, uh it was kind of a deal to where you had he was he was different in so many ways and and you never really had that that fire and brimstone type let's go out there and let's just kick their asses you know and kind of you never had that really from from him or his staff but the one thing that he did to motivate you is you didn't want to hear something like ah shoot it's not their fault it's it's our fault for putting them in there you know that that whole kind of backhanded slap you never wanted that to be about you, and so that was motivation in itself. You didn't want to hear him kind of, kind of chirping about you at all. And and so uh, one way or another, he was, he was so competitive and so confident that uh, that fortunately we we did so much winning that you didn't get a whole lot of yelling. That's good. Well, let me turn our attention a little bit to another Gator coach, our current coach, McElwain. What do you feel like his ceiling is as a coach? Do you think he can? hit the kind of highs that we saw Spurrier and Urban Meyer hit, or do you think he's kind of a notch below those guys? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, and you just kind of, it, he's from a, obviously from a different coaching tree and, and these but he's from a, an extremely successful tree. And, and that of course being Nick Saban. And he, he does have a little bit of a, a different approach. Um, but, but you see, I mean, just the fact that, that coach Spurrier is, is now back around this program, um, 
you know, I, I'm not positive who and, and what made it happen, but I'll guarantee you that Coach Jim McElwain had a lot to do with it because I, I've i been around uh, Nick Saban with my dad being a football coach all, all my life. Uh, I was around Coach Saban a lot and, and a, around a lot of the, the coaches that are still up there with him at Alabama. And uh, I think a perfect example is a guy like Joe Pendry, who was a, an offensive coordinator in the NFL for a long time. And he was an uh, offensive line coach and assistant head coach for Saban at Alabama for a few years and, and a part of some, some big championships. And he went to retire, and Saban wouldn't let him retire. It's like, look, we need you around this team. You're going to have an office here. You know, maybe you're not coaching that offensive line, but we need you almost in that ambassador-type role. And it's, and it's the kind of thing that – that I think that Coach McElwain sees is like, look, Steve Spurrier is going to be back in Gainesville, Florida quite a bit. Steve Spurrier is, is a guy who loves this school and, and, and loves this program and, and will do anything to see it successful. And I'm, shoot, why, why in the world would I not take advantage of having that mind, even if it's breezing through this office once a week? My goodness, I, I'm going to find a way. And it, it's finding a way and in, in, in going about it in a, in a completely different way. But it's, you know, it's still, as we see early on in his career here at Florida, um, different ways to skin a cat. I mean, look at the way Coach Spurrier did it with the fun and gun and, and uh, you know, a little bit looser, a lot looser than an Urban Meyer type of approach. And, and then, you know, Urban did his thing. And, and I think that absolutely Jim McElwain can be every bit as successful as, as Coach Spurrier, as Urban Meyer, and – you know, I, I say everybody's successful as, as Coach Spurrier, and, and, and maybe that's a stretch, but only because of, of just the it's a different it's a different era in college football, and it's a different era in the SEC. I mean, we were uh, timing wise, we we were very fortunate that, that that we hit it. Coach Spurrier was was really ahead of the game as far as offensive strategy goes and his mindset. He you know it took a little while for everybody to catch up with him, but uh, Jim McElwain can go out and win us some championships. That's for sure. Do you feel like going into this season, the media is sleeping on the Gators? You know, AP poll top top twenty five, but we're twenty fifth. Not a lot of people talking about us or predicting us in the SEC East. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, maybe so, but but I, you know, it's as we've seen the last couple of years. It's 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 not easy to go out and and really kind of be be a hundred percent top to bottom and in in a sense i don't blame them i mean if if i'm if i'm not a gator i'm probably picking tennessee i mean how in the world is does the university of florida beat the university of tennessee 12 times in a row i mean it's you know and it's just that's i think butch jones is a heck of a football coach they didn't they didn't have anybody drafted which you know Gator fans get a nice chuckle out of on draft day, but then you realize when the dust settles, oh, shoot, that means they didn't lose any studs. So, they, you know, it's such a huge game for them, and that right there kind of sets you back a, a notch. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's something that really doesn't matter right now when they're looking at a quarterback who just kind of like Shane Matthews, for instance, last year when, when we were playing pretty good at that position early on, you know, I was talking with Shane Matthews, and he said, he told me then, he said, hey, Del Rio's the best guy, and it's not even close, and, you know, he just can't play right now. And and here he is, and we're going to uh, get a chance to see that. And, you know, not everybody knows that. All they see is a guy that's 
It's bounced around all these different schools. They don't know what to what to think of them, and so it's maybe sleeping. But but I don't I, I don't blame them all for sleeping. It's uh it's it's not an easy thing to do, and and you know we'll see here in about a month uh, exactly where we sit. And I, and I really think that we're going to have a pretty good run. I think we've got some nice nice young pieces to, to fill in where where, where we need. Um, we're going to be a little bit deeper on the offensive line, but we've just got to find a way to keep those uh, those guys up top on the offensive line healthy. If we can keep them healthy, then then we we really can make a nice run. So a lot of talk is made, of course, of, of guys' skill sets, how they're recruited, what their ceilings are, what the individual talents are. It seems like nowadays uh, not as much maybe is talked about with regards to team leadership and how much a football team's identity changes from year to year. Given your experiences as a captain, how important is culture to a football team's ability to win and, and a culture that essentially is fostered by the leaders on the team? Oh, that's, that is, I think that that's a great question, and, and I really think that it's the most important question uh, when you look at, at what's going to happen. And, and it's another reason why everybody that's making their preseason predictions right now you know they can look and say, okay, well this quarterback's back, or this guy's, this guy's fast, this guy makes a lot of tackles. Gosh, they've got eight guys back on defense. Well, this team's going to be great. But the one thing that that nobody, nobody knows, and and, and they really can't know because all you're going to get is is oh we love each other, we care about each other, we're a bunch of brothers. But but nobody knows on the outside how much those guys care for one another truly and how much they're they're willing to fight for one another and it starts with with the senior leaders it starts with the off-season workouts with that with the strength and conditioning coach with you know and not just the senior leaders but those those young leaders and those young guys that are that are you know have 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 played a lot or have established some some sort of leadership role it has so much to do with the success of a football team and it's such an unknown for everybody on the outside looking in and that's one thing in, in 1996, I mean, there was, there was nobody that got along better than us. I mean, we just, you talk about fun. We had way too much fun. And, and we, I mean, just, we enjoyed one another's company. It, you know, practice would be over. And when I'll bet you most teams are, you know, a long day of school and, and, and then meetings and then on to practice and, and maybe even workouts for a lot of guys, it's, you know, you shower up and you can't wait to get home. But we'd hang out and play wiffle ball in the locker room and 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 make fun of each other. And I mean, and that's just the way we were. And and when you're like that, and you truly care for one another, and and you really have leaders that make sure that that everybody understands what we're after. It shoot, you can even take a team that doesn't have much talent, and, and they'll be tough to beat. And then when you get the talent that that we had back then, and, and you get the talent that some of these teams in the SEC have right now. Well, it's a it's a it's a deadly combination. And so you're someone who also covers college football, you know, from a very broad level and looks at the game on a national level. Is there something that you feel like people aren't noticing or talking about? Any storylines that you feel like are underreported or kind of you know not reaching like kind of the mass media at this point? Well. Being a Gator and, and being here on a on a, a Gator themed podcast, I hate to admit this, but I think the kid at Florida State, Derwin James, is one of the best football players in college ball. And he's a safety. He'll be a, a true sophomore this year. And 
I, I there aren't many defensive players. There aren't there aren't many many players on on either side of the ball that will impact the game like he can. And, and he's a guy that you know as a, the end of the season rolls around, we'll have to deal with him then. Um, but you know, I mean, it's a. Uh, uh, I know Gator fans don't want to hear it, but it just kind of surprises me that you don't hear more about this kid. But I shoot, I caught myself last year. I, I kind of. I, I get to where I like watching those defensive guys. I like watching guys like Jared Davis. There's one thing that, that growing up with a dad as a football coach, and especially a defensive football coach, he'd always say, don't get caught watching that ball all the time. Sit, watch those linebackers, James. Watch those linebackers. Watch their steps. Watch their hands. And sometimes I get caught up watching. He's a special kid, and, and he's, he's so much fun to watch. A, a Polk County kid, so you know those kids uh, down around that area are, are really tough. And so, uh, you know, football fans, uh, you put aside your orange and blue allegiance, uh, um, watch him a little bit because uh, he's, a, he's a, a special talent, and, and you don't get guys like that all the time. But it, at the same time, you know, and maybe not in a position to make as many huge impactful plays, uh, Jared Davis, uh, for us, I went to practice the other day, and he's, he's really a, a, an incredible linebacker. I mean, some of my favorites that have come through uh, – Scott Brantley and, and, and Mike Peterson. Mike Peterson was such a big playmaker. I don't know that I've ever seen such a natural – he has such a natural pop, like in his hips, and he's so powerful, and, and he's just such a, a a pure tackler, and he's really fun to watch. And, you know, I mean, I enjoy watching those defensive guys and, and, and Derwin James, Jared Davis. We've got a lot of them in the Sunshine State that are, that are going to be fun to watch. And, uh, you know, sometimes those offensive guys this time of year, they get all the credit, but uh, – People got to they got to give a nod to those defensive guys every now and then too. So James, you mentioned that your dad was a football coach, and for those that don't know, you're from Tennessee. Both of your parents went to Tennessee. I've read quite a few stories about how your mom, in particular, reacted when you chose to go to Florida. What was that? What was that like? Nowadays, guys are making the same decisions to to go to schools that they were back then, but it seems like nowadays it's it's maybe a little bit more playing time motivated, situation motivated. When you were doing that, you were almost betraying the entire state of Tennessee. Well, it was a time when the the Titans weren't even there yet. So it was, you know, it was the whole and 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 Vandy, you know, Vandy's had their a uh, couple runs here as of late where they've, you know, made a little bit of noise. So anybody uh that was going to be a Vandy fan uh no longer had to be embarrassed about cheering for Vandy. And so maybe diluted it a little bit more uh the titans coming along and and helping that out we know how that is in florida but so it was a just i mean it it doesn't do it any justice to call it a a passionate fan base and so when you are i lived there for a couple years and and went to high school there and in Sevierville, tennessee right there by uh, pigeon forge and gatlinburg and so anybody that that has a chance to go play for the tennessee volunteers man you I mean, you'd have to be crazy not to go play for the Vols and Johnny Majors. And that's, I mean, that's kind of, that's how it was looked at. And, you know, and, and I get it. I mean, they, they, they love their Vols. But it was just, what was going on down here was so magical. And I just, I wanted to kind of, to get away. And, and, you know, it's I said this a lot of times, that Coach Spurrier's big line, and it's so true, that, that he used to use on the, uh, the out-of-staters. He'd say, uh, well, shoot, you got all these people saving up their whole lives trying to turn 60 and move down to Florida. You got a chance to come down. You're 18. 
You know, I mean, it's true. That's where everyone went on spring break. They didn't go up to Ohio for spring break. And so that's, I was like, sign me up. And, uh, and, and I'll shoot. My mom wanted me to go to UT because it was close to home. And, uh, it was the only visit that, that she went on with me. And, uh, but I was down here committed to coach said, well, this is where I'm coming coach. And he said, well, let's call your mom. You know, he picked up the phone in his office and we dialed her up, and I said, Mama, I just wanted to let you know that I told Coach Spurrier this is where I'm going to come to school and play football. And uh, and she hung up on me, basically. I mean, it's like the kid, <laughs> I guess, a couple of years ago, the whole Alabama and LSU thing, and his mom got so mad. And uh, she's like, that's nice. I'll see you when you get home. And she hung up the phone, and they're sitting there looking at me. I think it was Coach Collins, uh, Coach Zook, and, and Coach Spurrier sitting in there in his, his office. And, uh, you know, I, I just kind of embarrassed. It's, so, it's such a big moment for an 18-year-old kid. And I oh, no, no, no. Okay, Mom, love you too. Oh, I love you too. Okay, but, you know, just kind of playing it off like like nothing was wrong because it's kind of embarrassing. But, yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't easy there for a while. But uh, eventually she, she, uh, she, she came over and wore some Gator gear. And, and uh, then when my brother ended up going to UT and he was backing up Peyton Manning, and she did the whole split split uh split mom in the stands half tennessee half florida gear and uh but yeah it was uh i made the right choice that's for sure shoot we won four secs a national championship i i met my wife tina who was a swimmer at florida we were on campus about five days and dated all through school and um still live in gainesville got a great education and and uh i guess i guess god smiled down upon the gators <laughs> now the tennessee florida rivalry for us is, is one of our our favorites it's one of my favorites i've been to that game multiple times i always try to tell people about the passion that tennessee fans have once upon a time you you captured that passion in a character uh named luther luther ogle i believe was his name and he i have noticed that he has been wiped off the face of the earth is there ever a time when we're going to get like a highlight video or a rendition of those comedy skits you used to do that so many gators are scouring the internet for <laughs> isn't that crazy i mean that's the kind of thing that that you would think would would be out there on youtube and, and it's it, i just it, it blows me away that 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 he never came around um, and, and I get people all the time, especially this time of year, and especially here in, in a few weeks as we get closer and closer to the uh, UT game. I'm like, hey, where's Luther? How can you get Luther? I want to show all these people that are coming over. And, uh, I, you know, I think my, my wife my wife would disagree, but I miss Luther Ogle. I, I miss, because it's like it, not just is it, uh, what you know, fun memories of, of all the fun that we used to have with that Wayne's World type show, and just all right, we're going to do this skit tonight. You guys shoot this, I'm aware of this, and and every, just winging everything. But it was just such a magical time in Gainesville, and, and a magical time to, to be a Gator uh, when we were riding so high. And and yeah, I uh, I actually started a painting this summer. I, I started a painting of Luther, so hopefully I can finish it up as we get closer to to Tennessee week and. And it, and I might eventually be able to dig something up out of the out of the the mothballs up in the attic. Oh, we would love that. And for the fans that don't know, uh, James Bates here did an incredible impression of of what I feel like is a lot of Tennessee fans. Very passionate, uh, taking taking a fun liberty at it with sort of a hillbilly angle to the Tennessee fans. But it was still, I think, probably one of the best comedy sketches done on a Florida opponent. 
uh, that continued for many, many years. So hopefully, if we can find something out of the vault, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll release that. We'll release that on cool. our on our page. But maybe you can even give us a little, who knows, a little accent or a little voice or a little taste. <laughs> well, well, thank you. But I mean, it it really was, and it kind of like it's it kind of deals with how passionate they really are. And it was, you know, we'd sit on the bus after we went up to Knoxville and, and we'd listen to those call-in shows, um, they're, they're so passionate, those guys. Like, if any, and anybody who doesn't, doesn't know what I'm talking about, a lot of people have probably seen uh, the, the one guy, the Tennessee fan meltdown. Um, he's up there. He's in his, yes, of course. Love that guy. house with his Tennessee curtains, and he's just cussing. It was when I think we beat him 10 in a row, and he's yelling, 10, 10, and it was just, I mean that's kind of where where it was is born is just the thought of I think it was one year after I was done playing that that we had beaten them and I was just I was just telling these guys when we were doing the show I was like man it, oh you know what it was they lost the, they were upset by Arkansas one year and it was such a huge upset for them and I was like oh my gosh they're just they're crushed up there they're absolutely crushed and, and just knowing from from living up there and and it's in a sense it's it's a nod to how much they love their team at least they care but it's like also it's like i mean you listen to those call-in shows like oh man fulmer's gotta go boys fulmer's gotta go we ain't never gonna beat the gators if we don't get rid of fulmer and it was just i mean and they cried people would call up and cry it was like i think the one guy a couple of years ago my daddy was a bulldog and his daddy was a bulldog you got that all the time on some of those radio shows and Oh, it was a uh, it was a lot of fun. So we had to kind of make a character for that, if you will. That's classic. I love it. I love uh, watching our rival squirm a little bit. Uh, and so, well, James, as we close up here, you're a longtime Gainesville resident. One thing we love to ask our guests is, can you tell us your favorite restaurant in Gainesville? All right. Well, my 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 favorite place to eat is at home. I love to cook. I love to. Uh, I, I I love love cooking for my family and and, and my uh, we catch a lot of fish. Um, I, I get really excited when I when I've got a, an evening and some time and I can in, uh, prepare a nice meal. But you know, gosh, um, it's it's I love the fact that we have satchels in Gainesville. I mean, I I think that that, that satchel I think is is pizza place is just it's a it's it's a the type of place that makes the city so much cooler, and and I just uh, love satchels. I love Dragonfly and 706. Um, the Black and Tuna Pizza at 706. When I moved to Colorado for a couple years, it was a flavor that's so unique, and it doesn't sound it, it doesn't sound like it tastes at all. I miss that, uh, and I I don't know that I that I could ever give you just one, but Burrito Brothers. I miss Burrito Brothers and. Um, uh, and, and Miapa as well, uh, but I, so th- those are my. That's a handful. Sushi Matsuri, of, of course. Uh, my wife and I, we used to always, whenever we'd get a chance to go out when we were in college, uh, we'd go there. So there's a, a a broad stroke of my top five, six, seven, or eight. Um, but I don't think I can narrow it down to one. I, I I think we're lucky to have a a handful of really good restaurants. And and shoot, sometimes I wish I could just uh, pull out my smoker and. and and do like a pop-up with all my art and, and, and get some ribs smoking for some Gator fans and, 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 and get my shirts out there and everything else. And, and one day you may see me out there on the side of the road, Batesy's Roadside Art Gallery and Barbecue. 
So look out for me. Yes, we will look out for that. I was actually gonna, about to mention that you have this really unique, I guess, side career as an artist, and I love uh, seeing your stuff around town. Uh, where can people find out about that or get access to your artwork? Uh, well, my website is uh, it's Batesy Paint, but with an eight B eight S Y Paint dot com, and um, so I've got a lot of my folk art pieces on there, and and I do I do a lot of stuff, not just the uh, some of the, the football folk art pieces, but a lot of uh, houses and abstract landscapes, and you know I'm I'm really proud of the, the following that I've kind of started to build, and uh, I just I just really enjoy having a chance in the off season to paint every chance I get, and um, shoot I'm going to start doing more and more shows uh, like the Tioga Art Festival last year was a big success, and uh, had a nice show at Satchel's where I was able to. Uh, debut my my big sister hazel piece the sister hazel boys brought me down to the house of blues in orlando a few months ago and, and wanted me to start a big piece on them and i'm really proud of that and i just finished up a huge michael phelps piece that um check out my twitter account at j batesy j b8 sy and uh and check that out because it's it's huge and you know, larger than life like michael phelps and you got to respect those swimmers and, and it's it's really maybe the coolest piece that i've ever done i'm really proud of it yeah, I saw that the Phelps XL XL piece, a large, large scale piece of artwork. So maybe we'll see that in Art Basel uh, this coming December as a <laughs> as a special athlete piece. But James, it's been awesome having you on the show. I know that all of our listeners are going to be excited to to have checked in with you. And as fellow Gainesville residents from Allen and I, it's always always great to to share our you know our fan and love for the Gators here. You can catch James like you mentioned on Twitter at jbatesy, J-B-8-S-Y, and then you can also catch his art at B, the number 8, S-Y-Paint.com, and he'll be working all year long for Fox Sports covering the ACC, so he'll be stuck watching Florida State and Clemson on a weekly basis. But, uh, <laughs> James, thanks so much for being with us. We greatly enjoyed talking with you. Uh, heck yeah, guys. Thanks for taking care of me, and uh, thanks for having me on. Let's do it again soon. You bet. Let's end the show with a little schedule prediction game. We're going to walk through the Gator schedule, and James and I are going to pick from the beginning here what we think we're going to win or lose. And obviously this is going to change throughout the season as we get more data. But just at a first blush, what do we think? This first one should be pretty simple. UMass, James, you got a win or a loss here. I have a, str- a strong win out of the gate for us. I will say a win as well. Now maybe a little more tricky of a game, Kentucky Week 2. Kentucky's not getting a lot of excitement this year. Last year, if you recall, they were really full of just Kentucky, Kentucky, Kentucky. This is the year, and now they're sort of like off the map, which anytime I see that I think a team has gone too far up one side of the pendulum and too far down the other, I'm saying all this to say I think this game can be far more tricky than what a lot of Gator fans have it as, which is like an automatic win right now. Uh, I'm not going to go that far. I'm going to predict a win, but I'm saying that this could be more interesting without seeing anything, then people are just kind of chalking it up to. It's like this guaranteed Kentucky win. Totally. I'm a little nervous about this game. It's at home, so I'm going to say win, but I'm with you 100%. Yeah, so we both go We both go win here. And Claudia Seitz, if you're out there, I'm actually keeping track on a, on a pad right now. But uh, if you want to be the official scorekeeper for Season 2, by yeah. all means, post that on Facebook. Post that onto our Facebook page at the uh, Gator Nation Football Podcast. All right, so North Texas, third game. That's, that's a win, obviously. A win. Yep. Okay, maybe the big one. Of the season, at least at this point, Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee, favored to win the East, top five pick in a lot of people's minds. 
so many returning starters, all the flash. This is like the moment for Tennessee. Uh, we've heard from from James about how excited you know their fan base generally gets, how passionate they are. Well, they are at a, an 11 on a scale of 1 to 10. Uh, this is going to be a huge game if both teams come in undefeated. It is just going to be everything you want Florida Tennessee to be. I'm already excited talking about <laughs> it. I have no idea what to think of this game, but past performance is the best predictor of future success, says Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. And therefore, <laughs> I have to pick the Gators until Tennessee can prove that they can beat us. Yeah. And I, just, I have to do it. Jalen Tabor's so with it. you. He said the same thing. Uh, I'm gonna go with a Gator win here, but that feels just because like all the pressure is gonna be on Tennessee. And obviously, we're gonna talk a ton about this game when we get there. Uh, what about Vandy? Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt could be again. This is a team that has made some small strides. They don't notice them because they sort of have these inexplicable, horrible losing streaks, and it's a very important year. Obviously, we put we put him on the hot seat. Um, you know, Derek Mason is on the hot seat there, and. Big year for them. We're going to beat them. But, again, another game that I look at and say, depending on what happens to that Tennessee game, this game could be super interesting. Super, super interesting. So I'm going to put it as a win, but I'm going to mark that down as potential interesting Vandy game. Yes, I'm going to go with you on that win, Vandy. Also, sandwich game because next up is... LSU. LSU. And this is where I'm going to go with a loss. I think that Les Miles, the Mad Hatter, fighting for his life as a coach that wins, he's got a really solid roster. I do not like his quarterback situation. But I don't think that we have the horses preseason looking at this game to say that we can beat Leonard Fournette and crew. I'm going to go loss. Oh, gosh. this <laughs> uh, I'm going to go loss, too. I, this feels like a game that we're going to see Les Miles, you know, fake field goal us into oblivion again. So, <laughs> all right. And then uh, Missouri next up. Missouri, I think, is going way in the wrong direction. I'm not a believer in who they hired. I think that it was hard for them to win in the first place, and they've taken a step down in profile. I'm going to go a win for us and also a note that this could be the last we see of Missouri for a while. They could be a lifelong Kentucky or Vanderbilt very quickly. I'm going to go win as well. It's a home game. Next one, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. As I said earlier, Kirby Smart is sitting on an unlit bonfire, and there's just so much praise heaped upon him right now, and it blows my mind. Like, this team has so many question marks, and people are like, sleeper list, and look out for them, and all these things. And they have a lot of talent. It's a nice team, but this is a team that we crushed with Treon Harris at quarterback last year. And both teams are returning very similar style rosters. I don't see it. We're going to beat Georgia. Kirby Smart's not an offensive coach, and their offense is still not any good. We've, I, I'm, going, I'm going with us in this one. I like us. Uh, I like us too here. It uh, feels like this game runs in trends. feels like we're trending in the right direction here. All right, next up, another SEC West opponent on the road at Arkansas. Well, the SEC West has just absolutely pummeled, pummeled the East, and it's important to take that data into account because it generally means if you're an East team playing a West team, you're going to lose. Arkansas is maybe the most interesting team in the SEC to me. We talked about that on the midseason. I'm sorry, the midsummer primer. This is a road game. This is a tough game. Uh, I think Brett Billingham's team is ready to prove something this year, and, and I think it's going to be this is going to be a super difficult game for us. Way far out in the future, without a million things that could change, I'm going to go with a loss here to another really? SEC West team. I'm going to go with a loss. I think Arkansas is that team that they are so hard to beat. You got to beat them like triple overtime to get a win. 
I don't know if we have it in us. At okay, this point. I didn't know. I didn't expect you to say that because I'm also going to say a loss. UF just seems to have a tradition of losing that SEC West road game. Now again, a lot of things could change. This feels like coming off that Georgia game. Ugh, I don't like it at this point in the schedule. It's the only place where I feel like the schedule breaks poorly for us. So I'm going to go loss as well. Uh, South Carolina at home. South Carolina, a team I feel like is also trending in the wrong direction with Will Muschamp there. It's his second stint, but he did not have enough time to learn, I think, from the mistakes of his first stint. They've got a lot of questions there. Doesn't mean this game couldn't be feisty. It certainly could, but I think we win this game. Agreed. Win. I mean, the state of the program right now is not looking up. You know, I think Muschamp will eventually have some success there, at least moderate, but not this year. Uh, the Presbyterian Blue Hose here at Ben Hill Griffith Stadium. Can you say that name without laughing? It's no, I not, can't. Not possible, Sorry. and that's a win. Yeah, go ahead and mark it down. And then the biggest game of the season, probably at FSU Doe Campbell Stadium on November twenty sixth. I don't think I even want to say. I hate. I hate this game every year because I hate. I hate it. Like I can say we lose to LSU, and I'm okay with myself. I cannot, I just can't hate it. I hate it, but I think we're going to lose to Florida State. I think they're really good. I think that everyone is like wishing they're not good. A lot of Gator fans are thinking they've got question marks, but that is a loaded, loaded roster. They only play three hard games a year versus all the ones that we play. Uh, That's a loss for me. I hate it. I hate saying it. I hate myself right now. You should, but I hate myself too, so I'm going to say loss as well. And so he ended up the same here I don't know how that happened. We definitely didn't talk about this before. And, you know, I'm sure we'll mix things up here as we get to it. And we'll do definitely do a midseason kind of reevaluation of this play this game again. But right now, you know, 9-3 uh, and three sounds about right for this team. 10-2 and two, or, you know, 8-4, and four, maybe worst case scenario, I think. Yeah, and I think we have a favorable schedule. I think the reason why I really like this game is we always have a hard schedule. So when I say favorable... Uh, Tennessee on the you know Tennessee on the road is obviously not favorable. Florida State on the road is not favorable, but you're going to have that happen every other year. Playing a top five team in LSU at this point, absolutely that that's not favorable. But Georgia, I think, has a lot of question marks. Missouri, which was a feisty team, is way down. Uh, South Carolina seems to be down. Uh, a lot of winnable games in what is just a horrifically, terribly uninteresting non-conference schedule, which is disgusting. You know, if you're a home ticket holder of the Florida Gators this year. You're upset about it. I'm upset about it. The schedule just flat out sucks at home this year. It's it's disappointing. It shouldn't be that way. However, there's good news. For those of us that are disappointed about this and we're going to get all these free wins, next year we open with Michigan. So You'll get your wish Think there. about that. You'll get your wish of ridiculously hard teams. So I say that to say it does. It, it's not fun as a home fan to kind of, great, I go to the stadium and watch UMass, North Texas, Presbyterian as three, three of the very few home games we get. But that also means when we said we're going to win nine games, you can see in the schedule how that's certainly achievable. Uh, and like you said, I think it's hard to find us winning seven games. You've got to have like a really serious wheels falling off the wagon. It's a very pessimistic view of the team. Yes, scenario, uh, which is hard to see that being the case. Of course, anything is possible. But I think it's also really hard to see this team winning like 11 games. Like yeah. really hard. I mean, that's all that is like a lot of stuff has to go right with such an inexperienced team college football you did not win with inexperienced teams so you know nine wins like we have right here that'd be a really nice season you get a bowl game when you get 10 wins i mean that would be really solid and the way we have it right now we would win the sec east neither of us have a loss against an sec east team which is an unlikely scenario uh, but if that happens and we win the east and win nine games it'd be a repeat of last season in terms of like record wise mm-hmm. uh, hopefully the team's gonna look better than that at the end of the year 
like I said, you know, we could go eight and four and feel like the team is better just because of the way the schedule breaks. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing this team improve over the year. Hopefully, I, I think ten and two is a very real possibility. It is, it is, and, and that's why it's really important also as a fan not to just look at the records. You have to yes. look at how the team plays, and we talked yes. a lot about that last year. We'll talk a lot about that this year. Progress is measured by how a team plays. Results will matter when a coach has been there a little bit longer. But at year two, you're really trying to see that trajectory where the team is getting better on a week-to-week basis to where you know that year three and year four are going to be great. And, and as a fun note about year two, if you go look at all of the top coaches, and I mean every single one that you can think of right now, Nick Saban's of the world and every other guy that has won a championship and done well, year two for them has been a very solid uptick in progression. Now, McIlwain had a really weird year one, so it's hard for him to add more wins under the total, but the team itself played with an identity that really matched what their coach was like. Now, Urban, of course, won a title in year two, but year twos are really, really important. In fact, you can't find one coach that won a national title in the past 30 years that didn't have a really solid year two. It just does not exist. It doesn't go up and then down. It does not. And so it's a crucial year for McIlwain. Uh, you could say every circumstance is different, but generally these coaches that are actually that good, they have a good year too. So it's going to be an important year record-wise for the Gators. And with that, we come to the end of this episode of the Gator Nation Football Podcast. It has been a tremendous amount of fun alongside Alan Williams discussing the Gators with you. We would really love for you to like our Facebook page, the Gator Nation Football Podcast. It's the best way for us to distribute the show to fans. It's the best way for you to distribute the show to those fans who want to listen. Just say, hey, pop over to their Facebook page. All the information about where to listen, how to listen, how to communicate with us is on that page. It's your one-stop shop for the podcast. And uh, as always, we really appreciate you listening to the show. It is so much fun for Alan and I to do it. We have been so humbled and excited by the feedback and sort of the critical praise, if you will, that we have received from those in the industry. And we look forward to bringing you weekly episodes from here on out throughout the entire season. So again, weekly episodes from here on out. We are back. There's no more waiting. We're happy to fill your headphones or your cars uh, with our voices and the essential analysis of the Florida Gators. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer. This might be your new favorite. You're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants.